Health, the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Rick Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer your medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for being here this morning. Yes, I'm excited to be back. We have a great topic this week on the Prairie Doc. Our topic is immunizations. Immunizations, intentionally, timely. Honestly, when, when we decided to, we had a different show scheduled for this week, but back in December, um, we decided to move move this to a vaccination show, show thinking that um, it would be about time that this would be getting rolled out for patients. But in reality, it kind of happened faster than that. So we've got a, a good number of people in our community who have already gotten one dose of the COVID vaccine and some who have gotten two already. Um, but I think still timely, there's still probably some people thinking about it and having questions about it. So I, I, I'm excited. It's going to yeah. be a great show and we'll talk a lot about the COVID-19 vaccine, but also questions and answers about any other vaccination questions, because certainly all those other vaccinations remain important, um, but have, you know, some, some of those may have gone under the radar over the last year, so... Right. We, um, so tomorrow night is the Prairie Doc television show yep. and your guest, Dr. Dr. Jen- Jennifer Shu. She's an infectious disease physician at Sanford Health in Sioux Falls. Um, and her it's Dr. Susan Hoover, also an infectious disease physician at Sanford. Um, both very smart physicians and experts on vaccines, including how this COVID-19 vaccine, the, the ones that we have and the ones that are coming have been developed. So, yeah. yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, too. It'll be great. So tune in tomorrow night on mm-hmm. SDPB at 7 p.m. It'll be so nice just to have a whole hour to dive yes. into immunizations because it is kind of a complex thing. We get these little snippets here and there, but to really dive into yeah. where they're, what it's all about. Well, we're looking forward to your questions today um, regarding immunizations in general, um, or if you have questions for Dr. Evans specifically about the COVID-19 vaccine, give us a call at 605-692-1430. We had our first question come in asking, should the second vaccine be given in the same arm as the first? Yeah, and so for just for some background, both of our currently approved vaccines for COVID-19, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, are two-shot series. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- this caller is asking, does it matter if they're given in the same or different arm? And it doesn't. Um, that you know that it shouldn't matter at all. Your immune system will see it where it sees it. Your immune system really resides in your bloodstream, which goes through your whole body. So those those important white blood cells that need to recognize the protein that's made after the vaccine is injected, we'll see it wherever they, it exists. Mm-hmm. So no, it doesn't matter. I would say that people can generally expect to have a sore arm after this vaccine. About at least 70% of people will report a sore arm for a day or two after the vaccine similar to other vaccination, local site injection reactions. So, you know, I usually get my vaccines in my left arm because I'm right-handed, but it shouldn't matter. 
Yeah. Yeah. I heard once, um, I think maybe after my kiddos were getting a vaccine, that it's good to really use that arm afterwards yeah. to help it. Is this true? Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe use of the muscle just increases blood flow through that and might, you know, help help the inflammation reside quicker. But, okay. but in reality, these vaccine reactions that, again, are fairly common with these vaccines are pretty self-limited and almost everybody will have them resolve within 48 hours. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera (laughs) Medical Group. If you have diabetes, these lifestyle changes can help lower your risk for heart disease. Follow a healthy diet. Eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, lean protein, and whole grain. Aim for a healthy weight. If you're overweight, even losing a modest amount of weight can lower your triglycerides and blood sugar. Get physical activity. Try to get at least 150 minutes per week of moderate-intensity physical activity, such as brisk walking. Manage your ABCs. A, your A1C test. B, keep your blood pressure below 140 over 90. And C, control your cholesterol levels. S stands for stop smoking or don't start. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Call your provider with questions or to set up an appointment, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss your medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Our Prairie Doc topic this week is immunizations. Um, More broadly and in general, kind of looking at immunizations, where they've come from, how we've used them in um, our society for a while, um, but also more specifically on the COVID-19 vaccine. Mm-hmm. So if you have questions, do give us a call at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, when did we start doing immunizations? Where did this yeah. come from? So I, I love the topic of immunizations. It's one of the most fascinating and fun topics in medical history because some of these things that happened hundreds of years ago affected the course of true, truly the course of humankind and human societies by being able to vaccinate against deadly diseases. It's the, the stories are just so remarkable. So the the sort of classic story about the first vaccine was for smallpox. And so there was a, a physician named Edward Jenner in England who observed in the 1700s that milkmaids so, you know, people whose job it was to milk cows that were exposed to cowpox. So cowpox was a similar illness in cattle that, okay. that caused similar disease to smallpox in humans. Those milkmaids almost never got smallpox, or if they did, they didn't die from it. And, you know, the smallpox caused a lot of deaths um, during that time. So Jenner came up with this hypothesis and you know we didn't even know that smallpox was caused by a virus no one the the concept of a virus didn't even exist at that time but he developed a procedure in which he took um liquid material from cowpox pustules and injected them into humans and it proved effective as a as an inoculation against severe smallpox disease and that's sort of where the concept of inoculation and vaccination was first put into practice 
And then, you know, there have been various developments over the years. Again, we didn't know very much about microorganisms at all, and certainly not viruses back in the 1700s. So it's just fascinating that story of, of Jenner and the cowpox inoculant. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's cool. But, you know, the vaccine development um, really took off in the, the last century. So certainly the 19th century when we had a lot more information, not only about microbiology, but also about how the immune system works. I mean, these are all things that scientifically have really taken off in pretty recent past when it comes to medical history. Um, I wrote a little bit about the mumps vaccine. And so this, this classic way to develop vaccines over the last 50, 60, 70 years has been to uh, culture a live virus like Maurice Hilleman did with the mumps virus um, in vials and, and basically over years and years and years culture it in a way that it decreased the virus's ability to cause disease, but still kind of contained the, the right proteins on its surface that when injected, our immune system would recognize it. So this is what you hear is like live attenuated viruses. And we still use some of these um, types of vaccines in our childhood vaccine schedule. For example, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine is a live attenuated virus. Um, the, the childhood varicella or chickenpox vaccine is a live attenuated virus. But those take a lot of time to develop because it just takes time to do that culturing. Okay. And so some of our newer vaccines, and this would, you know, have used other technologies that sort of bypass that and just either just create a protein or just create a molecule without the actual virus or bacteria um, being present. So things like the pneumonia vaccines are just sort of a molecule that exists on the pneumonia bacteria, but we don't actually inject the bacteria into people. Um, so the, some of those vaccines have developed over time. And then this new this new newer technology that used mRNA, that's a, that's the first human vaccine to contain an mRNA um, piece of material. That's uh, th this is a newer technology, but it's pr it's just really remarkable how it works and how effective it has proven to be thus far. Yeah, that is really mm -hmm. fascinating. I was, as you're talking about, I was curious, is the flu vaccine one that you have live virus or is it one of the molecules? That's ones? a killed virus. So okay. it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's a little bit similar in that it does come from um, true viral material, but it's, okay. a, it's technically a killed virus, gotcha. which is a, a little bit of a different process from a um, live attenuated okay. virus vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Evans mentioned she wrote about um, the mumps vaccine this this week for the Prairie Doc essay, which you can find in Monday's Brookings Register or online at prairiedoc.org or many other newspapers throughout the region. Um, it was really interesting to learn how uh, this father basically explored this um, after his daughter got sick. Is yeah. that right? For mumps? Yeah, I, this is a fascinating story. I kind of just learned about this, this person, Maurice Hilleman, in the last few months, and he was... he really was a rock star. I mean, he participated in the development of a whole lot, about 40 vaccines have his name under some of the development of okay. it. And he was the primary scientist in a lot of those. Um, he's from Montana originally, interestingly. So he, he lived and breathed virology, vaccine development. This was his life. And he had, I think he had mumps vaccine on the on his mind, but had not yet started to develop it because they didn't have a good viral culture to start with um, for whatever reason. So, so the story goes that his, his young daughter, Geraldine, woke him up in the middle of the night, says, Dad, I feel sick. 
and he looks at her and she's got the swollen puffy salivary glands that go along with mumps and you know I'm sure he provided some comforting words I'll fill that part (laughs) of the story and I don't think he was you know um he's his daughter who was interviewed as an adult you know certainly um had high thoughts of her father but he put her back to bed and he drove to his lab got some culture material a swab and some culture media so a liquid that these viruses will grow in and woke her back up in the middle of the night which is like the number one rule of parenting right you don't wake your sleeping child child, (laughs) swabbed her her mouth and and brought the the culture back to the lab so the 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 virus that they used over this four-year development of the mumps vaccine which we still use today um, came from Gerald Lynn's mouth and it carries her name. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating. It's just a, a funny story. And, um, you know, it, it benefit, it provided such immediate benefit to society that, um, Gerald Lynn's younger sister was actually vaccinated with that vaccine when it, when it was approved or shortly after it was approved in the U S so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely fascinating <laughs> and fun to think about how some people like this guy, um, as you say, just breathe and want to yeah. learn more about this as others might be more interested in hunting or fishing. Some people might <laughs> right. be more interested yeah. in just this was clearly researching these viruses. He was, he was very, very good at what he did. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we do have some questions that you Great. called in. Thank you, everyone. We're going to take our next break. And when we get back, we will start answering those. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Did you know that breast cancer death rates have declined 40% from 1989 to 2016 among women? The progress is attributed to the improvement in early detection. Breast cancer is most common in women, but can also be found in men. Anyone who notices changes in the breasts, such as skin texture, tenderness, lumps, or discharge, should be examined by their provider. Women are encouraged to have a mammogram every one to two years, starting at age 40. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Please talk with your provider about your breast health and other health concerns by calling the Avera Medical Group Brookings at 605-697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss your medical questions Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Our Prairie Doc topic this week is immunizations and vaccines, um, which is, of course, top of mind for all of us. But it's fun to go back and think more broadly about this topic beyond just COVID-19 as well with Dr. Evans this morning. We have a question from a caller saying um, they've heard that from a variety of people that there is an eight-hour reaction of nausea, headache, etc., after the second COVID shot. Is that typical, and what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, so let's talk about side effects because I think everybody has probably heard some about this. Most people maybe know someone who's at least gotten their first vaccine by now. What I'm telling people is that you, most people should probably expect to experience some side effects from this vaccine. They're not, you know, allergic reactions or anything like that, but it does cause effects. And that has to do with your immune system reacting to something foreign that's been injected, which is exactly what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to get your immune system to have a reaction so that it remembers um, those, those proteins um, if it were exposed to the virus. So when it comes to that, about 70% or more people will have a local injection reaction. So that's the sore arm, maybe even some redness at the injection site. That's the most common reaction that we'll see. But there are a fair number of people who will have other side effects. So about 30% of people will have fatigue, um, wider spread muscle aches, um, headache. A smaller percentage, maybe even 15 or 20% might even have fever. So you could have fever in that, again, 24 to 48 hours after your vaccine. I would agree that most of those don't happen immediately. So, you know, the caller may be asking, does it happen about eight hours after? I mean, that may be near the truth because I would say most of these vaccine reactions probably occur between between that eight hours and 48 hours after the the actual vaccination event. And that just has to do with the timeline of how your immune system kind of reacts. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you know, anecdotally, I wouldn't say that we have robust evidence of this, but I would say a fair number of people, yes, may have more reaction the second to the second shot that they get compared to the first. And that again, makes scientific sense. Because your immune system has had an exposure with the first shot, it will be faster and stronger to react to the second shot. And we know that that booster immunization gives a higher higher level and longer lasting immunity, which is why we want to get everyone two shots ultimately. Um, But it, it may lead to more side effects with the second shot. So I think that's a reasonable thing to have expectations for. I tell people, you know, just expect that you might not feel 100% that next day or even the second day afterwards, and and that's okay. It means your immune system is reacting. Some people won't have a reaction, and I've also been asking, you know, does that mean a shot didn't work in me if I didn't have side effects? No, that doesn't mean that. Not everybody will have these side effects, but it's common enough that people should have reasonable expectation that they might not feel great after the injections. Do you have any recommendations for coping with some of those? Is yeah. it okay to take Tylenol, ibuprofen? Yeah, so you... there, there's been some stuff out there that have said, don't take ibuprofen. It might inhibit your immune response. I don't think we have great real evidence for that. Okay. I, w- I took ibuprofen after my shots when I had some sore arm and I did have some fatigue after the first one. Okay. Um, if you're more comfortable taking acetaminophen or Tylenol, that's probably the first go-to. And it's for generally speaking, it's safer across the board for people to take a dose of acetaminophen. There are a lot of reasons that people shouldn't take ibuprofen. Okay. So if you're feeling bad enough, then probably acetaminophen or Tylenol would be a great go-to. You could always do an ice pack over your arm if that's all you're experiencing. But do know, that you're very likely to feel much better in a pretty short period of time, no matter what you do. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Good tips there. Mm -hmm. Um, We have some additional questions. Um, A couple of questions about the shingle vaccine. Sure. Um, The first question is, is the new shingle shot a dead virus? 
Yeah. So the great, great question. So the the shingles vaccine was, you know, before the COVID vaccine, kind mm-hmm. of the, the newest kid on the block when it came to vaccines. We had a new shingles vaccine. This one's called the Shingrix is the brand name. Whereas our old shingles vaccine was called the Zostavax. And, and, you know, there are a lot of people out there who maybe got the Zostavax a handful of years ago and wonder, should I get the new one? Is there a point? So the it is different um, technology. And so the Zostavax, the old shingles vaccine, was a live attenuated virus. And for that reason, people who are immunosuppressed, it's recommended that you don't get live attenuated viral vaccines because okay. you, you could... Um, have a very rare case of um of inf- infectious uh pathology with that so um that that's really gone by the wayside we're not going to have a reason to use the zostavax anymore because the new the, the newer one is actually more effective and safer anyways so the the new shingles vaccine is not a live virus um it is safe for everyone to take immunosuppressed people can use the shingrix vaccine um and so it's 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 very safe across the board the Shingrix is more effective. The, the Zostavax, it, it was highly effective in people in their 50s and 60s, but t- tended to lose efficacy in age groups. So like people in their 80s had low efficacy rates with the Zostavax. The Shingrix, that's really not true. It's over 90% effective, even all through those older age groups. So it's more effective. It is a two-shot series. Um, and, you know, similar, you know, vaccine side effects with a sore arm and some people will get some fatigue and even a fever after the shingles vaccine. Um, it, right right now, so the, the something else just to mention, the CDC recommends avoiding other immunizations within two weeks of either of the COVID vaccines. Okay. So if I have yep. patients that I'm pretty confident are going to qualify for the COVID vaccine in the next month or two, I'm telling those people to just, you know, things like the shingles vaccine, let's just do it when you're done with the COVID series so that okay. we don't, so that we can get just something more pressing. Yep. That doesn't mean that any of these other vaccines are unimportant. We just, right. you know, would like people to get their vaccine for COVID-19 as soon as possible without any problem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Another caller asked, what age should someone get the first shingles vaccine? Yeah. So the shingles vaccine is approved for people over 50. So okay. um, if, it, if you're over 50, then it's reasonable to talk to your doctor about it your next physical or visit with them okay yeah got it mm-hmm. and shingles is that that's connected to chicken pox yeah right? so shingles is the 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 reactivation of the chicken pox virus so okay. you know we may not need shingles vaccine in 50 years because everybody because kids won't have had chicken pox if they yes. were vaccinated against chicken pox but our, our most of our adults in the population did have chicken pox as children and so shingles is that sort of painful reactivation that tends to occur just on one side of the body in one area of a nerve distribution and can cause long standing pain is really the downer of shingles and the reason for the vaccine. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, so yeah. I was one of we did you get chicken pox yes, as a kid? Yes, I, rem- yeah, I, I remember having kid chicken kid pox. So we'll be getting those in yes. when we need to. <laughs> there we go. Mm-hmm. Very good. Another caller had a question regarding the um, COVID vaccine. This caller has muscular dystrophy. Mm-hmm. What is the effect of the vaccine to that? Mm-hmm. Any negative effects? No, in fact, so, you know, there, there are some people, again, like, like we've said, that have been advised to not get certain types of vaccines, and that usually has to do with immunosuppression and avoiding live attenuated viral vaccines. 
For the most part, people with chronic medical conditions, and I would say muscular dystrophy would be one of those things, we really don't want those people to get COVID-19 infection if we can prevent it. There's no side effects specifically from the vaccine that I would be concerned about in the in the realm of muscular dystrophy or other neuromuscular disorders. Um, so I would recommend getting it if they're comfortable getting it. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. Yep, no contraindication. We have a couple of different COVID-19 vaccines available to us. Mm-hmm. Um, how, why are they different and how are they different? Yeah, so the, the, the two that are currently on authorization are very similar. There's, I, could, I don't know if I could even explain the differences okay. to you. So they're both mRNA vaccines. mRNA is a, a type of material. So in our normal cells, the process of sort of going from DNA or our genetic material into making proteins, which are these things that we use in, in many facets of our body to, to sustain life, um, goes from DNA to RNA to mRNA, which is messenger RNA. And then the mRNA is actually the the piece of material that's translated into a protein with something called a ribosome. So the the cool thing about mRNA actually is that it's really unstable. So like in our bodies, after mRNA is translated, it's immediately degraded. Our bodies do this all the time. So mRNA doesn't hang around. So any concerns about, you know, longstanding effects from an mRNA vaccine, physiologically, it doesn't even seem feasible that that would be the case because we know mRNA gets degraded so quickly. So what these developers did was just make this mRNA and pack it between a lipid bilayer, which is another thing that's common in our cells, um, so sort of these layers of fat, and injects that. And so instead of injecting just the protein, this mRNA gets translated and it kind of gets amplified. So the, the response is bigger than if we would just inject a protein. It makes a lot of proteins before the mRNA gets quickly degraded. And that's why it seems to be so effective. It's pretty mm-hmm. impressive. But the, the, the Pfizer and Moderna, practically speaking, they were just studied a little differently, which is why the Pfizer recommendation is to have dose one, then three weeks later have dose two. And the Moderna is a four-week gap in between. It's entirely based on how they're studied. It's not because they work any differently. Um, and it's not because they, they couldn't potentially be spread out by longer. That just happens to be how they were studied, and that's how they're approved. Got it. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. Well, we thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. We're going to take our final break. You can give us a call at 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. It's time to get your flu shot. The influenza virus is a seasonal illness that changes every year. That is why the CDC recommends a new flu shot each year for everyone over six months of age. Now is the time to get your 2020 vaccine. It is especially important to receive the vaccine this year while we are in the midst of the COVID pandemic. The flu vaccine, along with good hand washing, mask use, and social distance will help you from getting and spreading influenza and COVID. Vaccines are available at your provider's office as well as many area pharmacies. Please make it a priority to get your flu shot soon. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to discuss your medical questions. 
you can give us a call at 605-692-1430. We've been talking today about immunizations and vaccines. Of course, top of mind is the COVID vaccine. Um, excited people are having the opportunity to get that. Um, Dr. Evans, many of us have changed our routines of these mm -hmm. annual exams and our kids' follow-up yeah. exams. Where are we at, and what are you seeing for kids coming into the clinic to get their right. regularly scheduled? Right. So Thanks. there, I mean, there is. Last year was hard, right? I mean, we had several months where our normal appointments might have been getting canceled, or if that wasn't the case, people maybe weren't comfortable coming into clinic when when there was high when we had high rates of COVID in our community, which is understandable. So probably some of those routine things have been pushed back for some people. There's data around the nation that childhood vaccines have fallen behind as a whole. Probably as a result of just avoiding those routine appointments. And so as our rates fall, um, as, as we sort of see things hopefully in the next few months be able to return to a little bit more interaction. And even right now, I would just really encourage, especially for, for those of you who have kids, if you've put off some well-child appointments, get them scheduled, get your kids caught up on their immunizations because we really don't want those to fall behind and, and have anyone's health suffer as a result of that. Yeah, that's a great reminder to make sure we stay on top of those things. We had another caller ask, what if you only get the first COVID shot and not the second one? Is there a difference? Yeah, so uh, great question. And I think the, the answer is we don't fully know. Um, that's not because that's not how they were studied. They didn't study anyone and just give them the first vaccine to see. We know that some immunity does occur after the first vaccine. The Some of the primary literature has said maybe about 75% effective as opposed to 90% efficacy with two vaccines. Probably what will happen, though, is that immunity won't last as long as if you get both vaccines. So ultimately, even if for some reason you have a delay in the second vaccine, we would encourage people to get their booster at some point. Okay, excellent. Before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. Tomorrow, February 25th, Prairie Doc host Kelly Evans-Hullinger will talk about immunizations with Dr. Jennifer Sue and Dr. Susan Hoover of Sanford Infectious Disease. Watch the full episode this Thursday at 7 p.m. Central on South Dakota Public Broadcasting or on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.